Welcome to season one of Bristlecone Firesides, casual conversation around a virtual fireside about faith, the earth, the universe, and everything. In this first season, we will be exploring foundational themes of a spiritual practice rooted in the earth. We are your hosts, Abby and Madison. Join us as we strive to re-enchant the natural world with an ecologically-based spirituality that is centered in sacred texts, rooted in the earth, and lived through activist issues facing us today. I thought we'd start by kind of giving a, a brief history of bristlecone firesides. Um, Abby, at what point did I, do you remember my first conversation with you about all of this? I want to say I it was like literally <laughs> over a year ago. Yeah. When I was still living and we were both living in another city. We were in the same ward. You came to me after church, I think, and said, hey, like, I want to get some ideas um, rolling about a potential podcast in the pipeline. And I was super excited because it was something that I had tried to do with a former roommate of mine. Um, And I think we actually recorded a few podcasts, um, my old roommate and I, and then never really came to fruition. And I was kind of disappointed. So I was really excited about the prospect of actually starting one. But um, at the time, I think you were also pitching a blog idea. um, And it just seemed like so much in the works as opposed to like in a reality. So totally guilty. I, uh, I get really hyped about things and tell everyone about a year in advance of anything ever actually happening. Uh, but so my experience, so just as, uh, some more background info about me, um, I work for the Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance, which is an, which is an, an environmental nonprofit based out of the Salt Lake area. And my role with them is I'm the faith community organizer. And so my role, uh, with SUA is specifically to organize around wilderness issues uh, in the communities of faith that exist within the Salt, the Salt Lake, the Greater Salt Lake Valley and the Utah Valley and Utah at large. Um, and the most obvious faith community in Utah is the uh, the Mormon population, um, and it just so happens that I am uh, am Mormon, so it was it turned out pretty well. <laughs> um, but one of the aspects of my position is it's a little bit like like Google, where a certain percentage of your time is essentially for your own projects. That I do a lot of work with SUA, you know, well, at least pre-COVID times, but I would go to like farmers markets and I would talk to you about, you know, wild Utah. But in some of my like my quote unquote personal work time where I just get to work on whatever I think uh, needs to get worked on. Um, I thought, you know what, I need to, I really like writing and I really like dialoguing with my friends and, and, and peers to be able to, um, kind of talk about what it, you know, our spiritual relationship with the environment and to kind of reground, uh, the Mormon conversation. And so Briscoe and Firesides as a blog and a podcast are kind of some of my projects, um, that I'm doing in my personal slash work time. Um, but when I, when I, when I started, I knew that if it was just my voice and my ideas regurgitating some of the stuff that I learned in school and, you know, uh, talking about the books that I was reading, it wouldn't get very far. I mean, I'm an, I'm an amazingly engaging person. I know that, (laughs) but, uh, I needed a diversity of voices because 
because that's what nature tells us is that that anything that's in a monocrop, a monoculture is doomed to doomed to fail. But anything that uh, thrives in diversity and is surrounded by things that are different than it um, will be able to thrive in a community. And so I know what really needed to happen was I needed to create a community um, where we could kind of foster voices together and 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 tell the story of the earth through the Mormon, the Mormon language. Um, does that make any sense? Is that kind of what I pitched you on? Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I, that's exactly what you pitched. And I thought it was such a good idea because I just, that, that was something that really spoke to me as another LDS individual. Um, just that, you know, we strive so hard to reiterate the importance of the earth and, um, the earthly community to other people. Um, and I think sometimes it gets confused in the culture of the LDS church and isn't as well received. But I think that's why I really liked the idea of both Bristlecone Fireside's um, blog and the podcast as well. It's like, like you said, a recentering of these ideas in, you know, found in the foundation of the scriptures and um, and teachings of the church as well. Yeah. And so I had a good time because, I mean, for anyone who's seen a heist movie like Ocean's Eleven, I kind of felt like I was the the guy. I was Brad Pitt and I got to go assemble my heist team. And so I got to go back to, and have conversations with all my peers that I went to school with. And I got them on board the Briscoe and Firesides team. And so if you go to our website and you look at the author's page. I went to school with over half of them and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So I felt like I was kind of pulling from my past, from my past at BYU, from my, the relationships that I built with professors and students and peers, and even in my wards or my own friendships, um, to be able to pull together, uh, a community to be able to be able to dialogue about this stuff, to yeah. kind of shift the language. Um, at least to like reground to the, the, the kind of Mormon conversation. So uh, that's kind of some of the backstory and why I felt like I was a, like an Avenger or at least Brad Pitt. Is it George Clooney or Brad Pitt? Both like, of I, them. Well, no, I know it's both, but which one is like really doing, I guess it's George Clooney, right? Yeah. Okay. Maybe, yeah. I mean, I eat a lot, so I'm, <laughs> I'm probably more the Brad Pitt. Okay, I'll take George. Clooney. You take George Clooney. I'll take, I'll take, uh, I'll take, if Danny Ocean is his name, I'll take uh, Brad Pitt, who was rusty Perfect. and I'll eat all the time. Um, yeah. So that's a, a brief history of the Bristlecone Firesides, uh, as kind of an idea and a project. Um, and at the time that I was kind of putting these ideas, ideas together, I was also reading a book called Braiding Sweetgrass. And I, we've talked about this, but I don't think you've actually read it, right? No. Okay. So it's next on the book list. It's, it's next on the book list. Um, Braiding Sweetgrass is this book by uh, this woman named Robin Wall Kimmerer. Um, she is a, uh, a botanist out in the Great Lakes region who, who happens to also be a member of the, the Potawatomi tribe. Um, and so she is... In this book, she braids together the two different stories of science and indigenous ways of knowing plants, uh, along with some of her own autobiograph- autobiographical uh, stories. And she, bra- he, she she braids together these stories as kind of it's a word. It's kind of an exploration of what does it mean to be indigenous to a place or naturalized to a place or essentially what does it mean to belong to a place? Um and this is kind of what we I I want to 
you know, kind of setup is the idea of bristlecone firesides is what is it, what does it mean to do the work of belonging to the earth? And so in this episode, what I, I'm hoping we, we can do is kind of explore why do we even need to belong to the earth? Don't we obviously already belong to the earth? And, you know, if, if there's a problem, what is it? Um, because I think central to this idea of belonging is central to the gospel of Jesus Christ as we teach it, right? The, the word atonement breaks down into three different words or sections, I guess, of at one mint that really what the atonement is about, what God is about, that I really believe that God is doing in the universe is bringing together a communion of individuals to, uh, it's the, the the mending and healing of relationships. It's the creating of this patchwork of diversity, uh, of this mass communion. And I think that's what is what, what God is at work in, in in the universe. And so, essentially, um, if the problem is that we feel disconnected from the earth, what then does the solution look like to heal that? To at one with the earth. And so, there's a lot of ways we can talk about that and take that. But any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I really like the way that you just um, presented that. I think um, so much of what we've already talked about prior to this um, kind of comes back to that idea of, of atonement um, and that, that Jesus Christ is at the center of what we do as a church doctrinally, but also just um, how at least I as a Mormon or member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, more actually. The Church of J. Colts for uh, <laughs> the acronym among us. <laughs> um, I feel like that's at the heart of how I try to live my life every day. And so if I can, you know, bridge this gap between how I feel about the earth and also, you know, the teachings of this church that I so fully belong to, um, I want to be able to do that, and I want to be able to kind of atone with the earth, both figuratively and literally. Yes. So. Anytime I, like, go hug a tree, I am trying to at one with the earth. <laughs> okay, but you don't, I mean, like, oh, even when kidding. we're not literally. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, 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 the other stuff, too. Um, yeah, no, I think is it's not just like for me and i think i heard this in in your in your thought was that for me it's not just me yeah. like great yeah i already have a solid relationship with the earth and i have a solid relationship with god in my community i want to help my community get to that place as a community that this isn't this isn't an individual project for me and like i just don't view the human earth dynamic as an individual project i view it as a, as a project of a community yeah well, and that's what's so interesting about this, too, is that, like, I think for so long, we've done it with the earth, we've done it with countries, we've done it with, um, you know, bodies of people that were so um, quick to separate ourselves from different groups of people, um, from different ideas that seem to differ from how we want to live our lives or the things that we want to believe, Um and that's so toxic in a way. Um, I think we've learned over time that, you know, when you isolate a certain part of an ecosystem, you're really not seeing that particular um, creature or whatever it is that you've isolated actually um, work in the way that it naturally would. So by isolating it, you're essentially not seeing how it would perform or act on a daily basis 
but instead you're just seeing it isolated from its whole. And I think that's what we want to do is recenter everyone or try to help others recenter um, within this community of, um, you know, earthly perspective. The problem then that we've decided, that we've decided, that we've diagnosed is that um, we're living decontextualized. We're, we're living as individuals and as a community separated from the earth. So let's talk, what are some ways that you feel disconnected from the earth as, as an individual? Um, well, I think there are a number of ways that I sometimes feel disconnected. I know there are other ways that I've heard um, from individuals that I interact with, that they feel disconnected from the earth, um, to name a few, spiritually, physically, emotionally. Um, th- those are just like a few of the ways that I think it's really easy to be become disconnected. Um, I think physically is a very obvious one, uh, especially right now. I mean, obviously, we're in the midst of a pandemic, a global pandemic. I spend you know, 10 hours of my day inside working on a computer. And I I find myself at the end of the day, like thinking about how I have not left my home yet, you know, that I have not even seen or breathed outside air. <laughs> I mean, I guess you don't see outside air, but I haven't. Well, you know, sometimes in the winter in Salt Lake, you do see, the, you do see you the air. See <laughs> <laughs> that inversion, though. <laughs> Gosh. Um, yeah, and so I, I think it's really easy for me to forget that an outside world exists because most of my day is mediated through these man-made structures. And that's not to say that, you know, I don't need these things at shelter. We love air conditioning. We, uh, it's a sad thing that I love <laughs> air conditioning so much. I know how bad it is, but um, anyway, yeah. So I'm not saying that, you know, living your life in a home that you've built is a bad thing, but I think it's so easy for us to just become so physically separated from the reality of the earth, the physical earth. Um, and I, I think about this often, like I said, because it's COVID, um, even just like commuting to my job. Obviously, I know the repercussions of me commuting and my gas and whatnot. But I also found it so invigorating. I, I work in Park City, but I live in Salt Lake. So it's about a 20, 25 minute commute up Parley's Canyon. If you haven't seen it, Google it. Beautiful. (laughs) Like stunning. So I think that like even just that drive every morning was so centering for me because it's just such a such a breath of difference and and like a way of breaking up my day, but also a reminder that I exist in a world that's beyond myself, beyond the walls of my home. Um, and so, but you know now working from home, I have to really, really, um, you know, want to participate in a in a physical experience with the earth now. Um, whether that's hiking or biking or whatever I want to do after work, but but I imagine that there are so many people that that's not a reality for them that they're not able to do that because it's not so much a part of their normal day anymore. Yeah, my commute to work 
well, pre-COVID times, was literally a drive through downtown Salt Lake, which is fairly, I mean, I know that it's not as urbanized as, as like New York City and that it's really actually quite a small city, but still, my commute was not a drive up to Park City. Yeah. <laughs> Probably not as beautiful. Probably not as beautiful. I don't know. There's that curve that. with the sewage. Oh, those are the pigeons. Wow, look at those city pigeons. Pigeons are creatures, too. They are creatures of our God king. Um, yeah, I guess moving on, spiritual disconnect from the earth. Um, I think about a lot of like spiritual experiences that I've had, and this isn't to say like you can only have spiritual experiences in nature or right. Can, so we got church buildings and temples and yeah, blah blah blah. Or you can only be in nature to experience yeah we're not creating a hierarchy of, yeah. of spiritual experiences here but i've i've found that like when i think back on a lot of my own personal spiritual experiences and that many of them have occurred in nature or looking at the stars or you know just like a, a very quiet pause on a hike or um you know just just taking kind of mental note of my physical surroundings and thinking about how beautiful it is that they coexist and that like these things grow from the earth that they have taken you know I, I look at like the geological formations of Utah and I can't believe that these have been formed over you know tens of thousands of years and um it, to me that's such a direct connection of God's hand in creation um maybe that's not the case for everyone but I think for me that spiritual connection is so inherent with my love for the earth and, and my experiences with the earth. Um, and even not just being in nature, but, you know, a beautiful sunset on the way home from work or, you know, just, I don't know, even that disgusting inversion. (laughs) At least we know that there's air and sometimes it'll color the mountains really pretty colors during the sunset. TBH, yeah, those sunsets. Those honestly. sunsets, those inversion sunsets, nothing beats it. Um, yeah, no, I uh, I love what you said. And I think something that, again, like going back to what you were saying about isolating things, it's so hard to isolate physical from the spiritual, from the emotional, right? That all these things interact with each other. Um, in like, just, you know, take for the, the idea of like urbanization that we live in homes, we live in cities or towns, you know, it doesn't matter how big and whatever the level of urbanization you live in, it is, it's separated from the natural world, right? Even though like, yeah, some of us have backyards and there's birds and squirrels and stuff, but, um, the very, the very, like the foundation, the, the fabric that our lives are built out of in this kind of industrialized urbanized world almost works against us and tries to tries to pull the wool over our eyes. Like even like going to the, like, so I was reading in, in preparation for this, some Aldo Leopold, the San County Almanac. Right. Yeah. And in that, he says that there's a, one of the, there's two spiritual dangers in, in not owning a farm. The first one is, is thinking that food comes from a grocery store. Oh, yeah. And uh, the second one is that wood comes from a furnace. When in reality, food does not come from a grocery store. Food comes from the earth. And the the heat that is coming out of your furnace is also coming from the earth. Different aspects, but it's almost every aspect of industrialization and urbanization is increasing the distance and the, uh, the, like, it's shrouding it 
is shrouding our relationship with the earth. And so it's harder to, it's harder to know. It's harder to like, that's why like we call pig pork and cow beef so that there's some kind of linguistic urbanized industrialized distance between us and the world. Yeah. That's such an interesting point. I, I, I will escape on a tangent for a bit because I really like this topic. Obviously I work in supply chain, food supply chain. And I like every single day. I am amazed at how many hands uh, literally and figuratively touch like a product, a, a processed food product that then ends up on the shelf. I'm like my, the place I work is non-GMO, you know, whole grains, all these things, very focused on um, quote unquote health food. But that being said, it still has, you know, we purchase the raw ingredients. We then combine, we send them to a plant that combine those natural ingredients. We send them to someone to package those ingredients. Then we store them in a warehouse. Then we send them out to distributors and customers. There's a basic supply chain loss for you. But also. <laughs> Economics. Well, is that economic? I don't even know. I wasn't in the business school. Yeah, neither was I, but somehow, you know. Somehow. We got to yeah. pay for it. <laughs> 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 no, but for real. Um, for real. So we're suckers for this machine and we can't get out of it. <laughs> no, but I, it's made me so appreciate, you know, growing a garden and feeling, um, you know, this, the amazement of being able to walk into my backyard and pick something off a bush and be able to eat it. And I get so much pride in connection to my food and I don't want to waste that food. I want to eat it. I want it to you know I just feel like I have this inherent connection to it because not that I did anything other than water these plants and put them in the ground but that, that's actually what's so beautiful yeah. about about doing something like gardening is that you realize how little we have to do yeah. with what comes out of the earth yeah it literally all you have to do is you have to put it in the ground you have to water it yeah that's all you have to do the, the, the plant does the rest of the work <laughs> I think if you talk to farmers, they may just... Oh, right, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's all you got to do. Just plant the corn. Clearly, my ignorance is showing. <laughs> no, no. That's all you have to do. I'm pretty, sure, I'm pretty sure I read that somewhere. All you have to do is stick it in the ground and water it. And, like, it doesn't even matter. You don't have to worry about sunlight. You don't have to worry about bugs. How pioneers Nothing. not survive? They don't get it. Come on, guys. Food comes from the grocery store. (laughs) But yeah, no, I mean, I mean, kind of ironically, we're proving our own point. Yeah. You know, we are disconnected from the sources of our food. I'm so disconnected. So, but I, I I mean, I think that it's good for us to be aware of that. Yeah. Um, Okay. This is a quote by Wendell Berry. He says, odd as I'm sure it will appear to some, I can think of no better form of personal involvement in the cure of the environment than that of gardening. A person who is growing the garden, if he is growing it organically, is improving a piece of the world. He is producing something to eat, which makes him somewhat independent of the grocery business. But he's also enlarging for himself the meaning of food and the pleasure of eating. (sighs) I don't know about you, but I want the most pleasure from eating as possible. Okay. I don't know if you've eaten a tomato oh from the grocery gosh. store, but it's pure trash. It's That's trash. I have to say. It's just a red vessel for mush. Yeah. It's not even flavorful. But like a tomato from the garden, like when it's like kind of warm and you just pluck it straight from the vine and you're like, no pesticides on this, pop it in my mouth. Nothing better. 
Yeah, no, I've I've uh, I've had some of your kale, and I'm not. Sh- did I give you a tomato when you came into my backyard? I don't know if you did, but you gave me some freaking good kombucha. I did give her some kombucha, and it was really good. It's very good. Um, uh, but yeah, no, I uh, I love that quote from Randall Berry, and it also harkens to stuff that Norman Worsba has said that uh, like. I mean, obviously, we're supposed to be talking about the disconnection, but as a small aside, one of the easiest and most fulfilling and rewarding ways to to feel like you have a connection with the earth is to garden. If you have like if you have the space in your backyard, great. If you don't just get some like potted basil, even like some rosemary and thyme. It's so good. (laughs) Just kidding. What song? No, I don't know that song. Oh, oh come on. <laughs> Look it up. Look it up. <laughs> that reminds me then of another uh, piece by Wendell Berry about uh, about embodiment and um, that I think one of the consequences, like we were saying at the beginning, that industrialization and urbanization, they're not inherently evil things. Yeah. Everything in this world has good aspects and bad aspects. That's, you know, that's what we signed up for. That's what Eve signed up for. And when she partook of that fruit, right, is that the world is now colored in, in blacks and whites and shades and gray, right? That there's any, any choice has consequences, both good and bad. And you just have to deal with that. Right. So one of the, one of the pitfalls of um, urbanization and industrialization is also that we are becoming disconnected from our bodies. Yeah. And the more disconnected from our bodies we are, the less we see ourselves as creatures that are dependent on a natural world to live and exist and to be healthy, right, and thrive. Um, like, for instance, me driving my car, that I'm disconnected from the energy that it might take for me to walk or pull a handcart or ride a horse that, that far, right. That I'm disconnected from that. And all I have to be is this, this flesh suit that holds my brain, uh, to be able to go that, that distance. Right. Or, um, that my work is almost all entirely on a computer. Right. And I just have to be a pair of eyes that are looking, that's looking at this thing and using my brain to creatively put together stuff. Right. My body's very, my body is super not involved in the process. And, and even then, how many of us, our relationship with food is, is purely to put energy in so that we, you know, aren't hungry anymore rather than as, as a relationship with food, that's something to not just nourish us, but to be pleasurable, something that it can be fun and like, you know, life sustaining. So in what ways have you felt disconnected from your body by the way of the world? Oh my gosh, what way have It's interesting that you bring this up because this is obviously one of my favorite topics to kind of address. Oh, great, study. cool, fun. Yeah. Um, but I think it's so easy for us to become disconnected to our body. The way that we eat um, ex- through exercise and use of our body, like you said, um, and also just like the the needs of our body. How do we recenter and refocus what's important for our body to feel? I think we've gotten so out of touch with, um, you know, how much we listen to diet culture. We listen to, um, you know, our, our taste buds, which I guess is still our body. I don't really know. (laughs) I'm no food expert, but I think 
it's so important for us to remember that our body is a creation of God. And in the same way that our body is a creation of God, the earth's body, both spiritually and physically, is a creation of God. Which, I mean, the church explicitly states on their their website and in the scriptures. Um, so I think that's that should be nothing new to us. But I think we also are so quick to forget that in the same way that the earth is created both physically and spiritually, we, we too are created physically and spiritually, and we believe that our body is a temple of God. And the same goes for the earth. Both the earth and our bodies are temples of God. And so why would we do something to the earth that we wouldn't do to our body? Or why do we do things to our body knowingly uh, or, or knowing that it is a temple of God? You know, but it's sacred ground. Yeah. Um, so I think that's kind of a way of recentering it for me, spiritually at least, is knowing that there, that that my body has inherent worth. It's not just a thing to house my spirit. It it too is a sacred creation. Just like the, my spirit. Yeah. So I um, I'm a big fan of Richard Rohr. I don't know if you've ever heard of Richard Rohr. No. He's a Franciscan. I'm gonna I will likely bring him up a lot throughout the podcast because of how much, uh, I, I love Richard Rohr. So he's a Franciscan monk. Um, and so the, he's like after the order of St. Francis and St. Francis was, if you ever see a, a statue of St. Francis, he's surrounded by birds and, uh, he's the, like the, the earth and animal lover of all the saints of the Catholic church. Um, and so it's after the order of St. Francis. Anyways, what he says, um, is, uh, he, that, the, what's really hard, like the, you know, the like ordinances that we do, like, I mean, he's, he's not Mormon folks, but he's Catholic, but you know, they have baptism and communion, which kind of are, you know, rough, rough approximations of our own sacrament and baptism. Um, and the, the necessity of having our bodies involved in the, in these spiritual uh, rituals are so that we can get it through our heads that, that our bodies are in on it too that our bodies and this earth and this, like this material that we're all made out of. Um, and sometimes like the material that we're made out of isn't great, but somehow we need to be convinced that it's in on it too. It's in on the good news of the, of the universe, right? That we're all in this together. And, uh, I love that idea. Um, yeah, so we we're kind of getting into the, the spiritual aspects of this. Um, how, I guess, how has this 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 culture of disconnection, this culture of de, of decontextual, I don't know, this culture of disconnection, um, impacted you spiritually? Like, like, and not just you as an individual, but like your relationship, not just to God and the earth, but your relationship to your community. I mean, there's, sorry, there's a lot of questions. There. <laughs> yeah, break that down. Um, no, I mean, spiritually, I think goes back to a lot of the physical aspects of it as well. Um, because I think if we focus too much on the physical aspects of the, of the world and the materiality of the world, then it's so easy to be distracted spiritually. So that being said, um, so easy to go down the path of consumer as opposed to producer um, 
And I mean that not just in the sense of me growing a garden, but also in the sense, okay, what, what kind of message am I putting out? What kind of person am I, am I, um, you know, committed to service? Am I committed to making the world a better place? Or am I simply just consuming information, consuming goods, consuming food, um, without any real context or connection for where it's coming from? And, who is producing it, you know? So I think with that disconnection of spirituality comes a disconnection physically. Um, so I think they all go hand in hand, but, um, I think going back to what you asked me, I'll get back to that question. So I don't just (laughs) going running on tangents, but, um, I think disconnection has affected me spiritually, uh, because I believe it is harder to build a relationship with God when I'm so centrally focused. Um, And if I remove myself from, you know, these connections with other living processes or with the earth as a whole, um, how can I build a relationship with God um, very knowingly taking advantage of the things that he's given me, you know? Um, and then I just feel selfish. <laughs> right? I'm just like, Hey God, will you give me this? Will you give me that? When in reality, that's not how I'm going to improve my spirituality or my connection with God or my relationship with him. Uh, in actuality, I should be working on my relationship with all of his living creatures and, and the um, spiritual ecosystem that he's built for everyone to participate in. Um, and so I think that's why, uh, service is so inherent to, um, our relationship with the environment and also our spirituality, but also just in general, we can't forget. I don't even know if I'm making sense. Well, it's decentering is what it is, right? Because like, uh, like I think what disconnection does is if we we see ourselves as an island, right, disconnected from uh, from everyone else, ex- with the exception of maybe our family, that that our actions stay with us, and that as long as I'm okay, I don't really care, right? Right. And I'll let everyone else do whatever they want as long as I'm okay, right? Um, that something else um, that Richard Rohr says that I'm a big fan of is. Um, the separate self is the problem, not the shadow self. Right. Yes. And so what God, like what the problem of, of human life is and the problem that God and Jesus are trying to solve is this problem of the separate self. And, uh, that all of the, you know, if, if pride is, is the king of all sins, right. That pride is the embodiment of this, of the separate self, the self that, that thinks, Oh, I'm just going to like, my actions stay with me and they don't affect anyone else. They're like, like you just can't, you just can't fathom or you're unwilling to see that you exist in a community and that you are affected by other things and other people affect you. Right. Um, uh, yes. Um, going back to Wendell Berry, Wendell Berry is an incredible Christian author and, um, environmentalist and farmer. I mean, if you haven't read anything by him, I, wholeheartedly suggest that you do. Yes. Um, that being said, he talks so much in his book, um, 
on the unsettling of America. There's a whole chapter on bodies and treatment of bodies. Um, but he very explicitly states, you can't expect to treat an- yourself well when you can't even treat another person well and vice versa. Like if you are, are treating yourself poorly, you're not going to value someone else and be able to uphold them as a, as a being of God and a creation of God. Um, and I think too, I, I didn't realize this, but the church also very explicitly states that um, the church has a page on their website titled environmental stewardship and conservation. And one of the paragraphs, I'm going to quote it. Well, I'll just read it. It says to truly reverence the creator. We must appreciate his creations. God intends his creations to be pleasing to look upon and enliven the mind and spirit. For that reason, making the earth ugly offends him. It is important to see and appreciate the glory and grandeur of God in everything about us, because the state of the human soul and the environment are interconnected. Each affects the other. The earth, all living things, and the expanse of the universe all eloquently witness of him. I just want to highlight that. Because the state of the human soul <laughs> and the environment are interconnected, each affects the other. Like both of those things are so inherently tied to one another that you cannot expect yourself to treat the earth as a creation of God if you don't treat yourself as a creation of God and vice versa. If you are not treating the earth as a creation of God, then you as a self don't even matter. I think uh, how, if we're talking spirit, you know, what are the spiritual impacts of this? I think something that we're guilty of as Mormons, and not just Mormons, but as Western American Christians, uh, that we're guilty of like of living our Christianity in a very individualized way, yeah. right? We we live our Mormonism in a very like as long as I can keep the commandments, as long as I'm obedient, um, I'm gonna be okay. Right. Yeah. And that, that my my spirituality does not move out beyond my own body and my own actions. But like th- that's so ironic, because if we truly claim to be the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I don't understand where the disconnect is between that mindset and what we claim to be. Because it's not like Jesus went around being like, mm, I can't heal on Sunday. Mm, sorry. <laughs> I don't have enough fish and loaves for everyone. Jesus was so tied to the people and the earth around him that like everything radiated from him as goodness and glory, you know? So I don't think, I don't understand where the disconnect is in our culture because that's definitely not our doctrine. No, it's not. I think what it, what it could be, or at least an aspect of it is that it's just so much easier. It's so easy like if, if the world really was just about me and about being an individual and making sure that I'm right with God, it would be so, so easy. easy to get into heaven. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, knock, knock. I was a good person. Let me in. Uh, do you see all the boxes that I checked, sir? Uh, Peter, let me in. I don't see what the problem is. Um, but uh, that it would just be so it would just be so convenient. It would be very convenient. Right. Yeah. And it would be convenient in the, in the way that I could go to the store and I could buy my salvation off of the shelf True. with my, with the transaction of my obedience as if I could use my obedience as a currency. Right. Right. But that I think, um, what I think 
were really, especially as Mormons, that we have this idea of temple and genealogy and ceilings um, and and like uh, family history is that salvation is clearly a communal thing with us. It is not an individual project. It is the project of a community and that we are saved together or not at all. Yeah. And that that so if we're going to talk about how have we been disconnected, how has this disconnection from the earth affected my spirituality? It's very much that I am working against almost at all times, this idea that my, my own personal salvation project. Right. Right. And that my, that salvation is not this communal thing that it, that like, it's a lot less convenient to worry about my neighbor, especially when the neighbor is a mountain or a desert or the ocean, right. That, that the things that I buy or, you know, the, 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 who knows the cars that I drive, who, who, who cares, whatever. But yeah. just the, the fact that I exist in this urbanized world, uh, it would, it's, it, it's inconvenient to, for me to see myself as a member of the larger community of earth. Yeah. I think that's another way that we become disconnected then is just uh, by isolating ourselves uh, by choice. I mean, not even like, tr- uh, unknowingly disconnecting ourselves, but very much decidedly disconnecting ourselves. Um, I think that's really interesting that like, Oh, I can control my own salvation. Why do I need to help other people? It's really interesting. Yeah, no, it's, it's a very, um, it's a very like Westernized American thing because we've kind of got this, like this Western frontier, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. So I'm going to carve something out of the wild and it's going to be mine. And it, you know, no one's gonna be able to take it from me. Right. That that's just, it's very much in our DNA, not just, it's not, not just in our Mormon DNA, but as in our, our DNA as, as Americans, you know, and there, like I said, there's, there's, there's pros and cons to everything, but this is just a consequence of it. Right. right. Is that we're, we're intense individualists. Yeah. And I mean, we've obviously seen that very recently with everything going on with COVID. Oh, right. yeah. as well. <laughs> I mean, that like, we can't even have our own rights infringed upon when they seem to be harming other people. What is the solution? So the solution is obviously an at-one-ment of some kind, right? Right. Um, and so we've kind of prepped some some subjects to kind of talk about this solution. Um, and you had pitched the idea of imagined communities. So what what are some imagined what are imagined communities in the first place, and how are they helpful? Um, imagined communities goes back to this notion, I think probably first coined or maybe popularized by Benedict Anderson. Um, but it's this idea that there are communities that are formed not just by, um, you know, political lines and borders, but rather that even an idea or um, uh, different kind of social connections can actually build a community. Um, I think his ideas were explicitly related to nationalism. So how people connect through um you know, the imagined communities that are supported by borders of, of countries. Um, but I want to take that a step further and kind of remove it from that context and perhaps say, you know, we can create an imagined community of Christians who support and uphold the idea of reconnecting with the environment, as we stated at the beginning of this podcast, that we want to truly allow 
Christians to reconnect with the earth and the embodiment of the earth, the embodiment of Christ, and how all of those things are related to the environment. Yeah, no, I really like that. Um, in that the book Braiding Sweetgrass that I have already mentioned, um, she has this chapter about Maple Nation and that, uh, that up in the Great Lakes area or wherever the heck all of the maple trees exist, um, that there are more maple trees than there are people. And that if you had counted maple trees as citizens, if you like imagined, okay, they're doing this much to regulate our atmosphere. They're doing this much to clean our air. They're doing this much to change the soils, right? That if you actually counted them, that they might be the most productive members of our society, Right. And so I, I love that idea of this, like a different framing, a different way to imagine what community looks like. Yeah. Um, especially when we're considering the earth, because while we're absolutely embedded in a network of, of relationships, it takes some imagination to see those. Yeah, I agree. And I, I'm thinking back to the Pope's encyclical. Um, and, you know, even though that's not coming from our church, I think it's a really good Christian exploration of the environment and, um, and the ideas that are important to both supporting the environment, but also, you know, those who are most explicitly affected by climate change and, and the detriment that it imposes on our lives. Um, but one of those things is just the idea that it's, it's no longer just an ecological approach, but it's inherently connected to a social approach as well. Like you said, it's a human issue as well as being an environmental issue. And I think um, he says it so well that, you know, this concern for the environment also needs to be joined to a sincere love for our fellow human beings. And, and that that's the way that we are, going to be resolving this issue um, in the long term, because I think the further disconnected we become from both the environment, but also other people, um, as we talked about earlier, the easier it becomes for us to for us to totally abandon this issue in general. Um, and we won't be able to find a solution. Right. Um, so one of the, this idea of like, of, community of building community is that of participation genuinely what does if we are trying to form a community with the earth what does that participation look like yeah i think that's a really good question um obviously we talked about how we're going to um do an episode on stewardship later um but i think stewardship is a really important um you know way that we can can become reconnected but also um a part participatory action that we can take. Um, I think it just goes back to a lot of the principles that our church in particular teaches that like to be a member of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints requires active participation. You have the choice to be baptized. You're not baptized as a baby because, you know, they sprinkle some water on your head and you can't say no. You actually have the action I mean, the physical choice to be baptized at eight years old or whenever you want to be baptized. And I was a, I was a superb decision maker when I was eight years old. <laughs> I'm, just kidding. I'm just kidding. But I mean, there is something. There is, even if, yeah. even if, you know, eight year olds like 
are obviously pretty dumb and can't make, I mean, the eight-year-olds that I know are pretty dumb. Um, and I love them to death, but they are absolute tyrants. Um, but there is still this element of choice yeah. that is involved. And I mean, think about the actions that we take every Sunday. I mean, not right now because none of us are going to church, but the action of participating because in the Because of sacrament. the pandemic, folks, not because we're heathens. <laughs> Pretty inactive. <laughs> we're just giving a podcast about church, but we don't attend. No. But I mean, think about the active participation required yeah. in physically taking the sacrament. And, and beyond that, you know, the preparation that goes into preparing the sacrament of breaking bread, filling cups, passing it. You know, I think all of these require participation, saying prayers. Um, I think if you passively approach the gospel, you're never going to get out of it what you need or want. I mean, I, I think it goes with the saying that most people have about anything that like you get out of it, what you put in. Um, so if you're not actively participating, you're not going to receive yeah, like much of anything. It's not going to change you. Yeah. It's not going to get into you, right? Yeah. Like, oh yeah, we can we can go to church and we can talk about principles of love and 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 change and transformation yeah. transcendence all we want, right? But until like until we get it into our bodies. Yeah. It's just not going to like it's not going to affect us. It's not going to change us. Yeah. And I think that's another good point. Like you can go to church, but I also think you need to be actively um, cognizant of uh, what's being taught and how you interpret those things for yourself. Personal revelation has become such an important topic within the church because, I mean, our current prophet, President Nelson, has been so explicit in stating you need to be very proactively seeking personal revelation. And I think that's another way that we participate is by, okay, how, when these things are taught at church, what do they mean to me? How do I accept them? Um, how do I interpret them um, and extrapolate, you know, both the things that I need to uh, build my personal faith on, but also then integrate them back into a whole and, and understand the gospel holistically as well. Right. Yeah, no, I'm a, uh, so I'm a big fan of like mysticism and meditation. Right. And there's kind of this idea of the mystic who goes off in the forest and just meditates and like isolates himself from the world. Right. And just like achieves nirvana and is like ushered into heaven. Right. Whatever. But, but I, I hate that idea. <laughs> I hate that idea a lot that what is the good of spiritual of spiritual practice if it doesn't change the world in some way. Yeah. Right. And that what is the good of being a member of a community? If, if your participation in the community doesn't change you in some way. Yeah. Right. And so if we're talking about the, you know, the community of the earth, what participation, at least to me, it looks like, it looks like voting. It looks like changing the way that I buy things. It, it means, it means the showing up to marches. Of, yeah. Know, Consumption. It. It. I think there are so many different ways to look at. Yeah. How. How we participate in a community and how we better ourselves and the community through our actions. It means inconveniencing me yeah. to some degree. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what. It'd be so much easier if I could just memory dump everything that I've ever learned about my relationship with the earth, because then I could just live really ignorantly. Yeah. And it'd be so easy. 
but I don't want that because my life is actually going to be really uplifted and really bettered and changed by, by all of this. <laughs> um, but yes, the, the participation in the community looks like being cheerfully and joyfully inconvenienced in some way that I'm choosing that. Yeah. And I think it also means like truly living as a community means that you are going to have to inconvenience yourself. You're going to have to sacrifice. But I think if you really believe in the gospel, you'll understand that that's already a factor that you have to accept or, um, you know, something that you have to gain faith on through tithing, through service, through callings that you accept. Um, I don't think it's always glamorous or something that we particularly want to do, but I think it's also part of being an earthly family is that we have to make sacrifices for one another. And this is something that I think is important to God, but it's also important to our earthly community, you know, that we remember one another when we're making decisions. Yeah. No, I, so in uh, the encyclical, Pope Francis's encyclical, he also, he has this really good uh, phrase, this really good sentence at the end of uh, one of the chapters that is essentially what we need to do is we need to make the pain of the earth our own. And it, like, if, is that not what like relationships that you have with your family or your friends or uh, your spouses, or even what we're called to do with random strangers, right? That we're called to empathize and to make the, the joy and suffering of our neighbor, our own. Like, yeah. That's what it means to love your neighbor. Like um, comfort those in need of comfort. Exactly. So that, like, that's our baptismal yeah. covenant as, as members of the church is to mourn with those that mourn, comfort those that stand in need of comfort and to lift up the hands they ain't done. I think that I'm, I'm like, I'm splicing together a couple of verses. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that our own baptismal covenants is a call to be in community. And, uh, I think what we're trying to do here is is broaden the idea of what community means. That if you think community is, you know, just isolated to your ward or to your stake or to the, your your membership in an in an institution of the church at large, that I'm sorry, but that's just not big enough. Like the project that God is trying to do with you and with us as a community as as members of the church and with everyone on earth is as big as the universe itself that it's not just like i don't believe in a small god i believe in a very big god and so i when god says very good about the creation of the earth and the relationship of of humans with the earth um he really means the earth is in on this too and we see that in the doctrine covenants when it says that the earth you know will earth the articles of faith i don't know one of the i'm sure it's in it's through there but that the earth the earth will be celestialized and that the earth is in on this as well. And so what I take that to mean is that the community that I belong to and that salvation pertains to is much bigger than just me. And it's much bigger than just the human family. Yeah, I agree. As we wrap up here, um, what are some practices that you've taken up that help you connect with and, and belong to the earth? It's a really good question. If I state these, I want to make it explicitly clear that these are my own personal <laughs> endeavors to be a better steward or to 
um, reconnect with the earth. Right, right. What Abby says are individual things. What Madison says are universal truths. <laughs> just kidding. Madison is capital T truth. <laughs> I am lowercase t truth. Uh, we're just kidding. Um, no, but I. one of the things that I've been able to do um, is really take time, whether it be in winter or summer, um, to spend time outside. Um, obviously, I have, you know, the privilege of not living in a particularly urbanized setting. I live near the foothills of um, the Wasatch Mountains, and I'm afforded the luxury of being able to escape into them and hike. That being said, you know, hiking isn't everyone's personal enjoyment and and something that they gain pleasure from. But I think, um, you know, perhaps another uh, opportunity people can take is going to a local park, um, even even participating in just a walk outside. If you don't have the luxury to walk outside, maybe looking at books in which <laughs> nature is portrayed, but just honestly trying to actively participate in nature around me and remember God's creations in that way. Um, another thing that has really helped me, um, like I mentioned earlier, was growing a garden. Um, obviously like that's about to come to an end. Um, but I plan to move my pepper plant inside, (laughs) um, and a few other herbs inside. Um, but that, like I have so many plants in my house. Um, and, and, I've become the kind of person where like I now ask someone to water my plants while I'm away from home. Yeah, me too. And I've totally become like a plant mom, quote unquote. Um, But I think even if you don't want a ton of plants, like having one plant or something that you can find a connection through another living thing that's beyond yourself is a really good way of building a connection, I think, with, with creation. Um, reading the story of the creation, if you're not familiar with it, has really been recentering to me. And if you happen to be a member of the church, uh, read all of our accounts. The, yeah. We happen to, you know, we're lucky as Mormons. We have the account of Genesis and Abraham in uh, the book of Moses. Um, and we also happen to have the temple account. Uh, so we have four different accounts of the temple. And while they all kind of orbit around the same ideas, um, they all have their unique takes and it's really to be able to kind of, you know, compare and contrast can do a, do a lot. Yeah. Um, I also think participating and subscribing to, um, you know, community outlets has been another really good way. Um, obviously I read the Bristlecone blog. Oh, do you? <laughs> a small plug. Um, but honestly, I mean, participating in a larger discourse where these are topics of discussion and um, of importance, I think, are largely impactful in in changing my mindset or um, bringing to light new ideas and topics that I hadn't previously considered um, when uh, thinking about different gospel ideas or um, human issues or, uh, you know, timely topics and issues. Um, and lastly, I, I think also just having conversations with other people, you know, we've had so many over the past year, 
where we discuss this, both, you know, integrally part of in preparation for this podcast, but also just, okay, Madison, how do you, what do you think of this particular topic and idea? And I think engaging in this conversation allows us to um, really formulate ideas and opinions on what we believe and the faith that we have um, and, and maybe incorporating them into our relationship with God and the gospel. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's good. Um, I, uh, I feel a lot of the same way. I feel like my, my, not only the, the job that I do, but also the, the unique kind of person that I am is that I feel like uniquely crafted to kind of find the story of the earth and, and see myself as belonging to this, the, the interweb kind of ecology of it all. Um, so some of my practices, as you've already mentioned, gardening, obviously I have a garden as well. Um, but particularly food, I am a huge food person. We've already mentioned that I, I, I brew my own kombucha at home. Um, my whole family is just crazy about food and I love, love, love being in the kitchen. <laughs> um, and so I found that through my, through cooking and through being in the kitchen and washing dishes and purchasing of groceries, I have felt myself in further, like dig in my, my toes or my roots into the earth. Right. That I like, I want to know where my, my, my meat comes from. Yeah. I want to know how it's, how it's butchered. Like, yeah, that's an ugly process. I want to know about it because I want to see that. I want to see how a pork chop comes from a pig. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I mean, you're a vegetarian, yeah. but, and I obviously am not, but the, 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 you know, seeing that this thing that we have to do three times, you know, two or three times a day is eat is like the, the, is like the base level of our most obvious interaction with the earth, our yeah. necessity of, of, of belief, of interacting as though we belonged, um, and, the, you know, we don't like to think about some of these uglier things. Yeah. And, but for me, like, I, I want to see how, yeah, it's really, it's hard. It's hard to watch that process, but I want to, I feel like I need to participate in some way. Well, I like that you bring that up too, because I think like, it's really obvious to name the ways that we can reconnect with the earth, like go hiking, smell some dirt, whatever. <laughs> yes, but absolutely. I, smell the dirt. There, I mean, I did read a whole book about let them eat dirt. Where, oh. like, there's so many important things. A good loneliness. Yeah. Mm. Mm. No, but I think it's really important. Like you said, that, that you're bringing up ideas and topics that maybe we don't necessarily connect to our relationship with the earth, but even just being aware and, and considering these connections, even if you're not making direct changes, like even if you're still buying pop tarts, just knowing what your pop tart is made of <laughs> and how it gets made. Largely corn. Sorry. <laughs> is it? Yeah. High fructose corn syrup. Most things are corn. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. I don't think I've eaten no pop tart for like ten years. But it was a week ago for me. <laughs> <laughs> See? Incredible. See? We love food. No, but I, I I'm saying just like even if we are not yet committed to, or maybe we never will, but just being aware of the things that we are 
the actions that we're taking and the moves that we make every single day is the first step towards participating in a larger conversation about the environment and its connection to the gospel. Exactly. Um, obviously, besides food, um, my some of my practices uh, to feel myself as connected to the earth, uh, besides hiking and camping and paddleboarding, which are things that I do all the time, um, I'm also, I love reading. That I think one of the, one of, and not just reading, but like watching planet earth, one of the best ways for you to feel as though you are seeing the world in a new way is to see the world through someone else's eyes. And, uh, you know, I've been profoundly impacted by the writings of Edward Abbey, of Annie Dillard, of oh, Wendell yeah. Berry, Aldo Leopold, John Muir, you know, some of these, like the, the, like the, the, the godfathers of, of the environmental movement in America or just in the world, right. That, uh, that other people have such a unique way of relating to, to the earth and they can capture it so well in their words and writing that for me to be able to engage with that, um, through a book or like David Attenborough, watch planet earth, watch planet earth too. Like blue planet, that stuff is magical. Like it should, they should, BBC should make the, the temple film. <laughs> Sorry, that it was heresy. Hey, uh, hey, President Nelson, I've got a I've got a great recommendation for you. Oh, Talk to David Attenborough. <laughs> Morgan Freeman. We'll get Morgan Freeman in here. Um, but uh, the the more you learn about the Earth, the more you you have a capacity to savor it, to, to be, be able to understand it. Right? That if you can know the names of the trees that you have in your yard. Yeah. To be like, oh, this is an oak. This is a this is a maple. This is an aspen, right? To be able to understand those things, like increases the resolution of your eyes and your yeah. brain and your relationship with the earth, right? So to be able to be like, oh, I know the different, even though I don't, I know the different layers of the of Utah's red rock sandstone, right? And I right. know how those things were formed. Um, those kinds of scientific or you know botanist or animal things sure can really like they can they can absolutely change the way that you interact with the world because you gain a sense of relationship with it totally i thought of two more yes sorry to be so obnoxious we'll take the two. Oh gosh that's the point of the podcast yeah is to just talk and talk and talk, talk. <laughs> the first thing is something that i've tried to emphasize throughout the entire podcast but just service mm-hmm. um a few years ago i volunteered with an organization um, just teaching people about Utah's watersheds and the Cottonwood Canyons. And um, that was an extremely educational experience for me. I've lived in Utah my entire life. And some of the things that I learned through the training of that um, uh, organization and volunteer program were things that I felt like I should have known a long time ago, but that I didn't know. And and they were very educational for me. Um And then, you know, the volunteering was very much talking to people in that community and and educating them on on watersheds and what that means for Utah. Anyway, um, that was a huge way for me to feel reconnected, not only to other people, but to the environment in which I live. And also, you know, feeling like I was actually making a difference by reminding people of its importance. because it's something that we all participate in on a daily basis here in Utah, especially Salt Lake Valley. Um, the second one I had was kind of going back to um, what you were talking about and, and something I mentioned earlier about just having discussions about these certain things and reading 
um, and trying to educate ourselves, but, but checking and reflecting on our own personal biases and, okay, why do I believe the things that I believe when I hear something um, from a particular political leader or from a religious leader? Um, why, h- how do I, um, you know, accept that, but also what are my, what's my resistance to it? If I don't agree with it, you know, what, what kinds of things are, uh, am I mediating through my own personal beliefs and biases? And so I think that's another thing that, um, we need to be aware of is just reflecting on why we have the beliefs that we have and how do we accept and begin to incorporate other ideas as well that are different from our own. Yeah, no, that is, especially when we talk about the gospel, essentially what you're saying, be vulnerable, be humble, right? Um, and <laughs> Abby just dropped some chocolate on the ground, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> it's all the way over there. I can't believe it's not melted. It's so hot in this office. <laughs> it's so hot. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so essentially what you just described is... Um, is being vulnerable and having humility that, I mean, I'll be, I'll be vulnerable and honest. When I came to BYU, I did not believe climate change. It was real. I didn't at all. And it wasn't until I challenged myself and I, and I took a a, a seminar. Remember that seminar? I don't know if you took it, um, where, uh, in the, uh, crap, in the Kennedy center where they brought in a bunch of, environmental scientists from all across the country to talk about climate change. Yeah. And so I, I challenged myself and I was like, yeah, I'll hear what the scientists have to say and I'll, yeah, I'll see if I still believe it after that. You know, they'll all, they'll let me hear how dumb they are. And I was the dumb one. Madison, <laughs> <laughs> I'm shook. Shook. I know. Right. Cause look at me now. Yeah. Look at me now. Five years later and I'm recording a podcast about the earth. Wow. Um, it was always meant to be. It was always meant to be that, you know, the gravity of the earth just pulled me in and I just couldn't, I just couldn't escape it. Gravity. <laughs> That's like, we probably have to edit that out because we don't have rights to his music. Sorry, John Mayer. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, and then that first thing that you said of getting involved, if you don't have skin in the game, you are not going to, nothing's really going to happen, right? That if you, if you, like for me, I worked for the Utah Lake Commission. I've showed up to beach cleanups on the, on Utah Lake. People hate Utah Lake and I hate that they hate it because I love that lake because of the time that I've spent working to try and better it. Yeah. And I feel a relationship and a sense of indebtedness to that lake for, for summers of fun and also for, being beautiful in its own weird, unique, smelly, dirty way. Right. Um, and so I absolutely would champion getting involved, getting involved in service projects, getting involved with, you know, local organizations like LDS or stewardship or the Southern Utah wilderness Alliance or the Sierra club or whatever, just get involved because if you have skin in the game, it will change you. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Any final thoughts? Just happy to be here. Happy to be here. As hot as Hades as it is in this room. It is really, really hot. We're in an attic and so all the heat rises. And so we're, uh, yeah, it's really hot up here. So maybe, maybe the next time we're going to bring a fan in and I'll just have to edit out the sound of the fan. (laughs) (laughs) Painstakingly one blade at a time.
in audition. It'll be a lot of fun. Um, Just know we're sacrificing. We're, we're sacrificing so much for this. <laughs> Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of Bristlecone Firesides. If you liked this conversation, please subscribe and share widely with your friends, family, and neighbors. Consider leaving us a rating through the podcasting app of your choice. For more from Madison, Abby, and the Bristlecone family, follow us on Twitter and Instagram and visit our website to enjoy more earthy content on faith, activism, and belonging to the earth. From the Aspen Mountains, Juniper Forests, Red Rock Deserts, and Salty Lakes of Utah, we wish you peace and goodness as you strive to find yourself in the family of the earth. 